0: COVID-19 Impact on the Asian American Community According to the World Health Organization, as of May 2020, the novel coronavirus has infected more than 2 million people in 213 countries. Worldwide, there have been reports of anti-Asian discrimination. According to the Asian Pacific Policy and Planning Council, the United States has seen a 17% increase in discriminatory behavior since the onset of the global pandemic. The behavior ranged from harassment, childhood bullying, being barred from establishment to verbal and physical attacks. At the cornerstone of diversity and inclusion are respect, civility, compassion, understanding, and empathy toward all humanity. Diversity defines how we describe our unique characteristics and differences. Inclusion is how well we are embraced and welcomed. Belonging transcends both diversity and inclusion. It is a sense of being able to unmask and be who we truly are in the workplace and all the spaces we occupy without labels, stereotypes, fear, or feeling uncomfortable. Welcome to the Diversity Deep Dive podcast. I am your host Audra Jenkins, joined by members of my Ronside Equality Diversity and Inclusion or Ready Crew, Floss Agri and Daniel Hughes. Today we're speaking with Soon Mi Kim, the Executive Vice President and Global Diversity and Inclusion Leader for Novelli an international public relations consultancy. A dreamer and a doer, Soon-Me drives purposeful action related to diversity and inclusion for Porta Novelli, as well as a broad range of agency clients. As a 25-year communications agency veteran, she is a proven leader and creative problem solver with a passion for innovation and impact. She is responsible for evaluating, developing, and implementing policies, practices, and programs that promote diversity and inclusion. She is also responsible for fostering receptive mindsets that promote facilitating purposeful discussions that challenge norms. Soon-Me's forte lies in uncovering and articulating the reasons why people should care about complex issues, systems, and technologies. Formally and informally, her favorite roles are that of mentor, coach, and student. Welcome, Soon-Me.
1: Hi, Audra. It is wonderful to be here with you and Floss and Daniel. Hello, Ready Crew.
0: All right, thank you, Sumi. We're so excited to hear more about your passion and learn about your journey. So jumping right in, Sumi, can you tell us a little bit why diversity inclusion is your passion and how did you get into this field?
1: Yeah, hi, Audra. You know what? I think about those that are in this field of diversity and inclusion, not so much as a career choice, but something that is more of a vocation. I think of it really as a calling. So, as I think about how I got into this field, I think so much of my growing up is so much a part of that. I'm a proud daughter of Korean immigrants, I grew up in the American South my dad was a professor at various HBCUs. And then meanwhile, my sisters attended schools named for Confederate generals. And then on the weekends, we were part of Korean American churches that were dedicated to interracial military families as well as Korean immigrants. And I just thought that was normal. But what I think that gave me was just life at the intersection. It gave me this profound sense of otherness, of belonging, but also not belonging, and also creating belonging. So If you fast forward to today, I think all of those experiences drew me to want to make a change through the workplace and to create cultures where diversity is celebrated, where we can create more equitable and mutually successful futures for all. Absolutely, Sunmi. I
0: love that about the mutually successful and equitable for all because I think when you think about diversity, inclusion, all the great work you're doing, and as well as all the diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioners out there, it's really critical for us. Moving on to our next question, Sunmi, I think more than ever, diversity, inclusion is so important because the coronavirus has really exacerbated and illuminated many disparities. From the death toll in the U.S., which shows an alarming number of deaths amongst people of color, particularly African-Americans and Hispanics, to the anti-Asian sentiments that undermines an inclusive and civilized culture. As an Asian-American growing up in the U.S., did you ever experience anything as jarring as the undercurrent of hatred and racism we're seeing today in diverse communities with this COVID-19 pandemic?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I totally agree with you, Audra. I believe that the diversity, equity, and inclusion are as important as they have ever been. I think this pandemic has exposed a lot of hate and socioeconomic disparities. I was just reading a little bit earlier how when we look at anti-immigrant hate groups, there was a rise even in 2019 of 18% and a rise in white nationalist groups of 5% in 2019. And so then you look at today, in 2020, both of those groups have really capitalized on COVID-19. So it has exposed our racism and our structural bias. It has exposed our socioeconomic disparities, and it has exposed our xenophobia and hate. I think there would be a lot of people that would say that that hate has been there all along, but I certainly think it has become far more overt in the past few years, and certainly we're seeing it now as well. But as far as my own experience, I think the microaggressions certainly have been there really all the time, but right now I think it's become a lot more normalized, and it's something that's really, really sad to see. My sister and I, when we were little and we were in elementary school, we would get taunted, but we would exercise playground justice back then. We'd just kick the crap out of anyone who messed with us, but we were then friends after that, and certainly I'm not advocating for violence, but I do think that it's just too bad that we don't have a situation where we can be more civil and more understanding, and spaces for conversations are so important today. Absolutely,
0: Sue me. I could not agree with you more. When I think about the brave men and women in healthcare, the police department, the fire, the veterans, active duty military, essential workers, and the grocery stores and delivery drivers, people in the restaurants risking their lives day in and day out. I have to believe that they're doing that regardless of anyone's demographic affiliation, their gender, race, religion, sexual orientation, beliefs, or socioeconomic status. These men and women are truly inspirational. What tips can you provide to help people stay positive and hopeful during this time?
1: Yeah, I too am just in awe of these incredible people who put their lives on the line to do a service, certainly for others that are so selfless in that way. And I think it's really important to remember that when we think about who these people are, that they are us. And what I mean by that is that as we're thinking about healthcare workers, as we're thinking about frontline workers in all the different forms, is that it's important that we look at that very intersectionally as well. Our frontline workers are disproportionately made up of people of color, of African Americans, Latinx Americans, Asian Americans, and immigrants, and the most vulnerable really over-index in many of these sectors. In my own case, I have five different family members who are healthcare workers, and my sister-in-law recently wrote up her will and. Named me as her executor, and I. So I don't take it lightly that you know these really are times of life and death, and there's so much that we need to come together on. And even as we offer our our admiration, they deserve our safety and our protection, especially for those who have no choice but to put themselves in harm's way. So in terms of staying positive, I think it's really important that we all think about this moment as one where it's so much more than us individually that we have to think beyond ourselves because we do need each other, and we do need to support one another in order to really move forward.
0: That is so spot on, Sunmi. We need each other right now, I think more than ever. And thank you for just imparting those inspiring tips to stay hopeful during this time. Now I'm going to pass it on over to Floss.
2: Thank you, Audra. So, Sunmi, I have some follow-up questions on that for you but it's around workplace agility. It's something that we have all had to really pivot during this time. As diversity practitioners, we often have to, of course, step outside of our day-to-day comfort zones to really be impactful relative to d in terms of our organizations. Tell us a little bit about what you've had to actually do differently during this crisis in your company for diversity and inclusion.
1: Yeah, so at Porter Novelli, we try to integrate diversity into everything that we do. So it's not just like one small area or even a big area in one department. It's something where our roles require us to constantly pivot. So I think in this particular time, as we are very physically distant from one another and going through an experience that we've never been through before, it's really important for us to be hyper-present and hyper-intentional. You probably are experiencing this as well, that I think we are in our own way, kind of that first point of contact for so many people that do need support. And whether it's reactively or proactively, for us to check on folks and be supportive is really, really important. So in some ways, we are that kind of front lines for caregiving of our colleagues. And I think that is really ongoing. And then in other areas, you know, I think about so many people who are freshly graduating from college, who are incredibly Brilliant and deserve to have the security of jobs right now and a place to exercise their creativity and contributions. And that really saddened me a lot. So, recently I created something called Mentor Mondays. And so we just get together on Monday nights to create community, build networks, and just connect with folks that have influence in the industry. So, it doesn't take much, really, just to cross some of these digital divides. In some ways, it's an opportunity. So, there's a lot of programming that can be done on digital platforms. So we're doing a lot of that even in our outreach, but also internally through our organization, finding reasons to connect digitally to make spaces. And I think the other part of that I'll just add is that even though we're not around you know, physical tables, I think it's really important that we continue to pull up our chair to those virtual tables to speak truth to power, to help others see around corners and to present perspectives that they may not have as we extend grace and try to use our experience to make a difference. Well, oh, thank you. Just some great feedback.
2: I appreciate you sharing that. Speaking of some of the things you touched on, you talked about, you know, using your platform to do outreach and extending grace and being intentional, being present. Lately, we have heard a lot about xenophobia, right? You didn't hear much about that not as prevalent as we do today, but it's really come up amidst of this COVID-19 crisis. Have you personally witnessed that just working in this space? I know you see a lot. You work with a lot of different types of groups, but for individuals that may be listening, maybe they're going through something like that, they experience it. Have you witnessed that or noticed the impact of that in your own community personally?
1: Yeah. So Floss, I'd say for me personally, I haven't had any kind of physical attack that's occurred to me, but I have been looked at and treated with suspicion. And I have friends of mine who have been verbally accosted, called racial slurs, and told to go back to their country. So that kind of feeling of danger is definitely present. There's a few different websites, but one in particular called Stop AAPI Hate that started collecting hate incidents, actually. And I think in the first month, there were as many as 1,500 hate incidents that were reported. And so I started just doing a kind of personal log of people that I knew and asking them questions like, if anything had happened to them personally. And this was a few weeks ago. So about 26% had said that something had happened to them. And then another 62% said that they knew of something that happened to someone that they knew personally. And then that same number, about 62%, were afraid, if not for themselves, then for, for their family members. So that fear and intimidation is definitely out there. Wow, that's definitely frightening. I mean, 62%
2: knew of someone and they were actually afraid. This is something that I think we could probably all agree that, that should be front and center as a concern for employers. It sounds like you're doing some things to support the community internally to your organization or people that you know, but what are some recommendations that you can provide for other employers, maybe one or two additional tips. Those employers that have heard of things like this going on, with so much going on relative to stress and trying to prioritize, what are some of the things that they can easily put in place to take a stand against xenophobia?
1: Yeah. So, you know, Floss, I think. There's actually a lot of people that don't even know that it's happening or because maybe the news sources that they listen to, they question that it's happening at all. So I think just the acknowledgement that this is happening and learning a little bit more about it, I think is very, very important. The other thing I think is important is to take a strong stand as an organization because racism is racism. It should not be tolerated. And I believe that that support really needs to come from the highest levels of the company. So whether you're the chief executive officer or you are a people manager, that opportunity to just check in with folks, because I think a lot of people are may not be saying a lot, but they're feeling these stresses along with every other stress that we're all connecting with. So just that opportunity to check on folks is really, really important. For those that have been doing the implicit bias training and your diversity efforts, that is important as ever, as as well as bystander training, because a lot of these kind of reactions do stem from our implicit bias. And then finally, I'd say just check the language that we use. If we are using words like Wuhan virus, Chinese virus, that's perpetuating some negative thoughts out there towards folks. And even the word xenophobia, I use it too. That word literally means prejudice against people from other countries. And that you know is certainly a reflection. There's a op-ed from John Cho that's out there that just talks about the fact that our citizenship can be conditional because of the way that we look, and so that just tells us a lot about you know the ways that we think about what it means to be American or, or who belongs.
2: Wow, with that one, that just really st- <laughs> struck me. Conditional citizenship. Oh my goodness, you make a really. Good point. But thank you for sharing those from an organizational perspective, the acknowledgement piece, taking that stand, checking our language, making sure that we've conducted that training as on bias or, or bystander. I think these are all things that our audience members can take back and work towards instituting a range of great ideas. Thank you. I'll now pass it on
3: to Daniel. Hello, Sunmi. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. So this backs up into what you were going over with stressful situations and talking about how that works within a team, you know, coming from the military. I know that your team really takes on your anxiety or calm, really, whatever you project or embody. So Knowing that, that there are studies out there that show that under stressful situations, it's critical for leaders to be more mindful. How are you engaging differently with your team during this crisis to ensure that they they have that sense of belonging and a semblance of normalcy?
1: Yeah. And hey, Daniel, it's great to connect with you as well. I think the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that this is not normal. We are, for those who are fortunate enough to work from home or if you're in other environments, we are... Operating during a global pandemic, the likes of which we've never really seen before in our lifetime. So, I think we need to just know that, hey, this is not normal, folks. But even with all of that, I think it's so critical that we are engaging authentically and with empathy. So, I know that when I am real and I give others a signal that they can be real too, when I give myself grace, it gives others a space to give themselves grace. So, when I'm connecting with folks, I acknowledge that I'm sad right now. I acknowledge if I'm struggling or that it was a tough day. And then on the other side of that, I'm often just cracking jokes too. So there's a full spectrum of feelings that we are all experiencing. And I think just the space to communicate that and kind of be what we are, I think is really, really critical. From a technology standpoint, like most companies, we're using a lot of the video platforms and that gives us us different access into each other's lives. And I think just using all of those kind of cues into you know, ways that people are feeling and the environments that they're in, I think is one way that we can perhaps share of ourselves in a more authentic way and support one another.
3: Great. You know, I latched on to the authenticity, right? Because we're peering into people's homes a lot of times when with these meetings. And our leadership at Ronstadt, especially on the Ronstadt Equality, Diversity, and Inclusion team, they've been fantastic with being transparent about the direction of our company, providing resources, and really good spaces, good organic spaces for us to converse. in. it is during these uncertain times that it, I think it's important to create safe spaces to encourage like these inclusive conversations what resources can employers provide their employees to help them uh, cope with stress and anxiety
1: yeah, I think they're all the usual way. So I won't go into like the hotlines and, and so forth and access to coaches and mentors. Uh, but some of the things that we are doing at Porter Novelli, we have guided meditations led by my colleague, Melissa Taylor. We have different leaders that are stepping up and offering yoga sessions. We have happy hours. We've got the weekly check-ins. And our talent team, it's funny, every web call is ended by folks shouting, who do hoo which sounds totally silly, but it is a, just kind of a fun, great energy boost. Another thing that we also activate quite a lot during our web calls is that we'll have a very active chat function with side conversations that are going on that, you know, honestly are hilarious, whether it's memes or jokes or just, you know, just a way to have other modes of communication. So I don't think that creating these kind of inclusive spaces have to be, you know, so hard. Um, there are a lot of things that can derive just from folks who raise their hands or just being really present and and sometimes even silly.
3: Wow, that's some great insight. I love the I love the idea of being able to come to work and meditate and to have that time. It's really something really good, you know. It has caught on, I think in a lot of places because it doesn't feel so fake or r- ridiculous in the way of moving forward with how you are as a as an employee anymore, right? And so as a parent, I'm always thinking about my children and what impacts them and do you have any advice for parents on how to explain to their children about the COVID-19 fears and the the rise in divisive rhetoric during this time?
1: Yeah, you know, Dana, I think it's so wonderful that you as a parent are bringing that up because I think, you know, the fact that I've seen a lot of kids on these web calls. And I just honestly, my kids are a little older, but for folks who are parenting and educating all while they're still trying to go about normal parts of their lives, of work and so forth, is really commendable. So. When I think about kids, and I think about the really divisive rhetoric that's out there, I think this provides an opportunity, you know, even amidst all the difficulties and the terrible tragedies that we're experiencing, that there are good things happening too, right? So to the planet, to more family times, maybe it's slower lifestyles, maybe even dinner together that we couldn't do before. So this opportunity to talk with our kids about their feelings is really huge, just as it is for all all of us. And then, more specific to the divisive rhetoric, one thing that I kind of think about, even as I think about my own upbringing, is that I think there is this justice warrior in all of us. And it kind of shows up when we all hear the words, that's not fair. <laughs> and there is so much that's not fair that's going on at this time. And so, as I think about how kids are processing, you know, what's going on. I think this is an opportunity to really teach kindness, generosity, and also just where can we make a difference? Where are spaces that we can do something so that we don't feel so helpless in these times when we're kind of stuck sheltering in place?
3: Thank you so much for that. And I just thank you so much for your time and thanks for being here.
0: Well, Sumi, as always, you are amazing and we love talking with you. Just a couple more questions before we close out. So, Sumi, we have you know, we all I think at sometimes, a point in our lives, we have these defining moments in our career and our lives that really shape us into and potentially alter our trajectory. What lessons have you personally learned from this whole coronavirus pandemic and the subsequent human impact?
1: Yeah, you know what, Audra, I think I'm still absorbing what those lessons around coronavirus are. But I will hearken back to another defining moment for me. And that was right after Philando Castile was killed, Alton Sterling was killed. And all, this was all within a week back in the summer of 2016. And what I remember from that is just this intense mourning that was going on, you know, in my workplace with my coworkers, And it was in that instance that for me, I made a promise that I would no longer be silent. And I look back and reflect that those are moments that led to this moment. And my hope is that even amidst incredible tragedy, you know, that those, that we don't remain silent, that those atrocities are not in vain. And that I know that those experiences certainly changed my career trajectory. But I think this is a moment that, you know, we really do need to look at the inequities that we're seeing as part of COVID-19. And I think it's an opportunity for all, all of us to kind of think about the ways that we're going to use our voice and build a more kind of equitable society moving forward.
0: Absolutely, Sumi. We definitely, we all have, have a voice. We have a role of play in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And everyone has a voice to to provide to that platform, and we need to use our platforms for good. And I'm so proud that, you know, to know you, Sumi, we've, you know, I think that um, this work is not for the faint of heart. It definitely is hard work, and it takes all of us working together, you know, to be successful. And I'm so thankful to, to call you my colleague and my friend. So, thank you for that, Sumi. One last question. So Sunmi, of course, we've had the pleasure of speaking at numerous D&I events on the same panels or at the same event. And I know how important your life work has been and the positive impact you've made, um, not only for and Valley, but also for your clients. What do you want your legacy to be that people remember you the most for?
1: Yeah. So Audra, before I answer that, I want to say right back at you, lady. I am so proud to call you a friend and colleague. And yes, I'm so proud to know you and also by extension this great ready team, Floss and Daniel too. So absolutely right back at you. But as far as your question about how to be remembered, I don't know that I really kind of think in those terms. I try to make ambitious goals and all of that, but what is important to me is to really to just be in that moment, to do the best that I can each day. When I connect with someone, my hope is that our spirits connect, that we each feel something. And so I hope what all of that really leads to is that I make the most of the opportunities that are given to me so that I am making an impact for others. And what I would just say as far as myself is that You know, I think it's just important to to really be courageous in those small moments and hopefully all of those steps, not only for me, but for everyone, that can be eventually a legacy, but even more than an impact that we can all be proud of.
0: Absolutely. Wow, Sumi. Thank you so much. You've been such a gift. It's such a been an honor to have you on our Diversity Deep Dive podcast today. You know, I hope you keep rising and thriving, Sumi, for sure. And thank you, Floss and Daniel, from my Ready Crew for another phenomenal conversation. I also want to give a big thank you to our listeners globally. We certainly appreciate your support. I think when we remember that if we pause and celebrate diversity and inclusion, we celebrate humanity. So be sure to spread the word by using hashtag celebrate humanity and tag our hashtag diversity deep dive podcast. Real diversity happens when everyone is actively engaged and working together for a positive change. Let's keep the conversation going. Please download more episodes of the diversity deep dive podcast. Until next time, seek out ways to make a positive difference in your organization or community. Thank you.